Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. And I can see you and you can see me, right? <laughs> I like the Zoom. It records much easier. It doesn't tax my system so much when I'm trying to do a screen record or something like that. So how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Yeah. How are you? Not too bad. How are you feeling? I'm feeling fine. Yeah. Good. Okay. Yeah. Get things organized. Yeah. Now, um, you took some time off of social media. I know that. Now, I, I don't imagine it's gotten any better for you out there, especially with the topics that you're standing for these days. So. Yeah, I was going to get off social media, and then my um, pub publicity publicity person said uh publicist excuse me <laughs> said uh yeah no um we need you there you need to be there so <laughs> get your butt back on social media so all right i appreciate it well i know we're getting out uh too late oh, actually just hang on while i get the other guys rolling here i almost forgot everything okay and we are rolling almost i'm working on my facebook live streaming uh privileges i'm not well i'm not working on it youtube's working on it i actually have a like a google uh support rep like seriously i couldn't believe it i was on the chat with a google support guy the other day so yeah um they're uh figuring that out for me until then we're just using the fake book and the twitter i'm not so impressed with the twitter feed as far as video quality and then i got a third recording that goes out uh, with some microphones that should let the sound be better and we'll edit that put some titles up for you so people know how to contact you specifically and uh, and we'll get uh, that up on the YouTube I usually get it up the same day so I'll work on it later so Denise McAllister is my guest I appreciate your time thank you so much uh, she is the author of what men want to say to women but can't uh, from North Carolina Charlotte yes do you attend Elevation Church by any chance? No, I do not. Stephen Furtick. He's, uh, yeah, Stephen Furtick. No, I'm, I'm One of my favorites. I'm sorry? I'm Anglican. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, I used to be Catholic, and I wasn't, I wasn't really into my faith at all. You know, I grew up, I was kind of forced into it. My parents wanted, oh, my dad wanted me to be Catholic, and I was confirmed, and just the whole monotony and the formality and blah, blah, blah. And, I don't know, somewhere along the way I got into it and kind of, you know, the church I go to now is called Rock and Roll Pretty Church is what I call it uh, <laughs> because it's just, it's, and I do, I'm really involved in it. I've got a really good men's group there and I do the video switching. It's like shooting a live concert in the beginning mm -hmm. uh, and they're talented. They've got lots of coin and resources and stuff like that. So for the first time over the last, I would say 10 years, I feel a really deep connection to my faith and it's a support group my men's group is out of that church we meet in every thursday morning at 7 30 in the cafe at the church and yeah it's based in faith but there's just a bunch of guys coming together and it's been really really uh, supportive for me and so i've had a whole shift in that department and you know i tell the story that you know back before i was really before i knew that church a guy that went to that church we were at the at Remax where I used to work in the in the fax room 
and he had said to me how porn was a sin. And I got into this heated defensive debate about like, dude, like what if I watch it with my girlfriend while we're ha- or my wife while we're having sex or I'm not married, obviously, but <laughs> is it still a sin if you're both watching it while you're, you know, actually, you know, trying to make a baby and, you know, and, uh, now I'm shifting on that, and you seem to be going to war on it lately. Uh, I appreciate your conviction. I know it takes it takes a lot of strength to stand up to the deluge of hate, for lack of a better term, that comes your way. So tell me about what lately what's been going on with you in in uh, how it pertains to this kind of um, this idea that kill the poor. I mean, Gavin McInnes has talked about a lot. I think a lot of people on the right are saying, what are you doing this for? Why are you wasting your energy on something that's not productive? Um, you're saying that why waste your energy talking about porn because it's not productive or why waste your energy on porn because it's not productive? Well, no, on the actual act of watching porn because oh. then that leads to, I mean, you watch porn for only one reason. It's not just to sit and enjoy it. It's not like watching a movie. <laughs> it leads to an ending, which we all know is usually, you know, yeah. uh, alone. Uh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> how is that going to improve your life? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I don't know what, has gotten every these other conservative um, pundits on it. I don't know exactly what happened. If there was something in the news, I've been writing about porn for years. So, um, in fact, I did a book a couple of years ago. I ghost wrote a book with a celebrity, and it was um, a lot of it had to do with porn. And so, um, I'm pretty steeped in in it and very anti-porn. Um, but not, I'm not for government banning it. So, um, but I'm anti-porn as far as the discussion of, you know, is it a good, is it healthy? Um, I do think, you know, there should be restrictions for age. Somehow we need to figure that out on the internet, you know, how to keep kids off. I don't even know if that's possible because of how the internet functions. I'm um, really the first line of defense is sort is definitely self-government for kids. It's, it's parental um, controls and parental instruction and oversight. Uh, as a culture, I think it's it's good to have a dialogue about what things when things are unhealthy. I mean, we do that with drugs, we do it with alcohol. We have PCAs out the wazoo about one thing or another. You know, I think that's particularly you know, especially important. You know, when it comes down to things that affect relationships. As you know, I read a book about relationships, so I'm I'm big into um, healthy relationships between men and women, and I think porn. Uh, undermines that in, in a lot of ways. So, uh, so I've been talking about it. It's nothing new for me. A lot of people are like, "Why are you on the uh, porn ban- bandwagon?" And I'm like, "I think I am the porn bandwagon." <laughs> if you've been reading my writings any for the last five years, <laughs> so. What are you most concerned about? What do you think it leads to, or how does it uh, tear relationships down or apart, or you know, have negative effects on the family unit? Well, I think over time, you know, an occasional look at a porno or, you know, looking at a girly magazine and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's not the kind of stuff I'm talking about. Um, and that's not really what's the concern here. The problem with the internet is we're already addicted to the internet anyway. I mean, just we're online all the time, one thing or another. Um, but when you get online for something as fundamentally, um, connective and, relationship affirming and something that should be inherently steeped in love when you get that from 
um, the internet and from porn, it causes um, a desensitization. And if you're doing it a lot, and if, you, if that becomes, especially for men, and it doesn't take a lot for men to get these images in their head, um, and they need that for more and more excitement when they're having sex, they often have to go to the image in their head, you know, to, to really enjoy the sex or to, you know, really have the orgasm that they want. Mm. You know, the person that's right in front of them isn't enough. I mean, this is just, it's not, even that's not even a character commentary. That's just nature. That's how the brain functions. Yeah, uh, you know, so um, it causes dysfunction. It causes, uh, you know, um, desensitization. It's, it's dehumanizing to the person, you know, that you're doing it you know, watching, they're dehumanizing themselves. Uh, you know, I talk to way too many women who um, have husbands who aren't making love to them, but are instead in the basement looking at porn. It's a thing. Wow, I um, can't imagine that. Well, I, it happens. I, I know it happens. And, <laughs> uh, you know, more and more women are, um, oh, I, I had a very beautiful, beautiful, lovely model uh, who will go unnamed. Um, tell me, and any man who looked at her would go, oh, I would be in the sack with you in a minute, in a heartbeat, and if I was dating you, that's all I'd want, you know, complaining about, uh, you know, her husband looking at porn instead of being with her when she's, you know, it, 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 it's, it's, it's just an addiction, it's an easy mm. release, you know, I don't care how beautiful the woman is or how sexy she is, familiarity breeds contempt and you know they get you get bored with the people if you're used to constant titillization from something else mm. um and it, it's just inviting images and other people into a realm that's sacred for one man and one woman and uh you know it's distorting and perverting the purpose of sex and the purpose of sex is you know for cohesion between two people and complementary love and passion and connection, physical, soul, and emotional connection. This is why it's a tragedy if you're not having sex with your husband, you need to get in the bedroom and have sex with them because that's your important in relationships. And um, the physical is very important. Um, and it's also to make babies, so, mm -hmm. but not always. I mean, so, you know, the foundational sex is that joining together, the becoming the union of the one, of the masculine, feminine, of men and women. You know, and in that, I think we really do represent the image of God on earth best when we're having sex. Man, that's a great way to put it. <laughs> I, I certainly get the good sex, real sex, covenantal <laughs> sex, <laughs> sex based on real love and trust, not you know looking at someone's someone else going at it on 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 the line. It's, sure, it's gross. I mean, come on, reflect no, on yourself when you're doing it and feel the grossness. Mm -hmm. I certainly get the put a mirror up and watch you watching the porn. Okay. Unless you're a total creep, you know, you find that a little scuzzy, scuzzy, <laughs> nasty. Well, I, I completely get. You're a loser. The Feel bad about yourself. You should. The desensitization, <laughs> the desensitization is, is certainly something that's important. Um, uh, and, I, you know, as I put it to earlier in the conversation, when, when I was having this quote debate with uh, uh, the guy I worked with that thought, you know, was trying to state how it was a sin i'm like well, well what if you watch it together and you know, um i don't this might be an overshare but like when you've gone a few rounds <laughs> my girl used to say well you want me to get the porn going so we can go another round so she could 
have another round at it too because you're you're spent i mean you go that many times and and, and you're spent so uh, i certainly get it but uh, i wonder uh, it, it kind of makes me wonder one of my questions to you and to many of my guests is is what do you think your purpose on this plane is on this earth and and i know you're a christian woman so you can't say glorify god and love your brother because i think that we all need to get with that christian mm -hmm. or not i think that's we, we need to be reminded that there's something higher than us out there, whether you call it God or the universe, or the oversoul or what have you. I don't think this, I'm pretty sure this earth wasn't, you know, created without a, a, another being going here. We'll give you some help here. You know, it's just, I mean, you look at a rock or a plant or the ocean or the lake and you go, this is all a miracle. This doesn't happen. Mathematically, it's impossible for this to come together, for this atmosphere and everything to hold this thing together without something else happen, you know, helping it along. So I wonder, you know, outside of glorify God, love your neighbor, what do you think you're put here for? What do you think your mission and your purpose on this planet is? Well, let me start with what your comment was before that about, you know, um, hey, let's put on the porn so we can have one more go around. Uh, I mean, you know, isn't it fun, you know, Let's go for four times, five times. I remember one time with my husband, hey, let's get it up. Let's get up to six times a day. Come on, what do we need to do? <laughs> uh, anyway, kidding. Um, but I, um, no, yeah, sex is great. As many orgasms are never bad, a bad thing, good thing, feel good. Um, but really purpose is key. And is the purpose when you're having sex just the orgasm? I mean, really think about purpose. Is that, is the end goal is, is, is just the, is, it, is sex completely and totally goal oriented and the goal being getting off? Mm. Um, no. Is it one aspect of it? Is it an important aspect of it? Sure. <laughs> Ask any man. <laughs> um, you know, it's really hard for them to even make out if they don't have that as the goal. <laughs> it's like, why am I doing this if that's not the goal? Um, you know, so, but there's more to sex. And there's more to intimacy than that. And, and when you start getting into, hey, I'm going to use other people. Because um, even the talk about porn, when I hear people talk, they forget you're, you're talking about other human beings that you're looking at. You know, unless you're in there with this, the anime porn and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, you're talking about, or even if it's imaginary, you're talking about other people being brought in, you know, to, to get you going. And so it, it's no, there, there you're using people as tools you're using another person as a tool for your own self gratification. And one thing that is the opposite of love is using others as a tool to a inappropriate or wrong end, you know, and um, that is sin. Sin is a perversion of what is a right way or right way of being or wrong purpose of using things. It's a corruption. It's diabolical and that it, it twists the essence of what, is designed um, to be and twisting it into something else. And one of the biggest violations is what is using other people as means to an end. Um, this is against the, you know, content, you know, categorical imperative. Um, you know, you're doing harm when you're using other people as a means to an end. So, Hey, all you libertarians out there, darlings, I love you, but you are doing harm in porn. <laughs> you know, yeah, you are. Some and, people would say, um, 
who am I hurting? I'm just, you know, it's all you're hurting yourself and you're hurting that other person because you're using another person's means to an end and you're basing yourself in the process. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, harm isn't just physical harm or stealing stuff from people. Harm is also about the essence of our humanity um, and in our spiritual being and our emotional being and our bodies. You know, we are not, let me repeat it, to use one another as tools. Even if I voluntarily put myself into position to be used as a tool, free agency doesn't re- erase the toolage. <laughs> you know, I'm not talking about what I mean. It's just not. I can, even if I say, hey, go ahead, use me, use me, you know, as a whipping post or use me to beat up on or use me to, to have sex with or to watch. Have, I mean, I'm putting myself out there to be used as a tool. It's contrary and it's a perversion to the dignity of me as a human being because people are to be ends unto themselves, not tools to your personal end. And in light of that, because I know it's some questions people are going to go, well, aren't we all tools when we're working? Aren't we all being used as means to an end when we're in productivity? Or aren't models being used as tools when they're walking down the runway, you know, wearing clothes? Um, The difference there is, yes, are are we in the process of of having a means of production to an end in, in a common goal here? Yes, but the difference is, are you being used and using yourself voluntarily um, for a good. And uh, that's the difference. I can contract with someone to do something, like give you a massage to release tension on your body. That's a good that we've contracted together, and my hands are being used to do that. Um, the problem is, is that when you use someone to, or use yourself, either against their will, which we all can agree is bad, or even according to their will, but for the wrong and for a, a um, twisted and perverted purpose that doesn't lead to good, that again, you're using them as a tool for your own evil ways. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. And so um, now that's I'm a fundamentally, fundamentally my horror at porn is that debasing of the human being, the one who's watching and the one who's doing. And you know, of course, do you have the legal freedom as a free, red-blooded American to do that? <laughs> yeah, but I'm not talking about your legal rights. I'm talking about your moral obligations as a human being mm. to yourself and to other people. Yeah. So, and work back to the question on purpose for you, what yes. do you do for yourself. Um, well, as far as, you know, talking about, um, I, I kind of got off there about purpose. Um, oh, that's fine. you're talking about the purpose of human beings. You're talking about, you know, do we have a purpose? The thing is, is that, you know, what is our purpose here? Um, yeah, I mean, I think what is the catechism, the Westminster Catechism, you know, I'm here to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Um, it's a very esoteric thing. Um, as human beings, we are here to, we're all human beings. We all share one purpose as human beings. And that is to love one another. We, as image bearers of God. And to um, spread that love and, and create and be um, good to each other and, and enjoy life and enjoy the creation that God has given us and enjoy him um, in the right ways that we have through love and, and, and other people. I mean, it's really that simple. And, and I don't mean love is in that mushy-gushy Hollywood stuff. I'm talking about truly engaging with other people as full persons other human beings in the full image of God and loving them and promoting through our humanity, creativity, 
you know, um, music, art, productivity, building cities, build, building civilizations, coming together and enjoying life, food. I mean, this is what existence is supposed to be about community and, and, and love and enjoying truly God's creation and God himself, you know, in community. We're all to do that, you know, and then in, in that is, is our relationships and fundamental of that relationship is the relationship between men and women. And as men, we have, you have a purpose all, all to your own as men gifted to you in your masculinity. And as women, we have our own purposes in that relationship and we bear life. You guys protect it. So, um, you know, and then as individuals, we all each have our little individual purposes that God has given. There's no one like me and all the rest of the world. And I have my own little purpose to use my gifts according to how God has given to me, you I'm know, to be loving to, and to spread light and to build and create. Um, and you do too. And all of you watching, you have your own individual purposes. But I can tell you this, as human beings, we all share the same purpose. And when we violate it and we don't love one another and we use each other as tools, you are violating your purpose as a human being. Uh, tell me what's going on. And the responsibility that you share to other people in that, you know, our, our responsibility, you know, we have our purpose is to love and, and, and carry the burden of that responsibility of loving other people. And in that we find meaning. Yeah. I think we're being uh, coaxed out of this uh, community. You know, I heard, uh, I don't know who's uh, the podcast. I think it was Gavin's latest episode talking about there's no community in big cities. You don't wave at your neighbor. Maybe it was Tim Pool. I think it was Tim Pool talking about like he says hello to his neighbor. He has a relationship with his neighbor. You know, he's not over there playing cards every night, but he says hi to him, shakes his hand. He he feels like he's there to protect his property when he's away. And you get into the big cities and that's gone. Like, I mean, and this is what I've lamented so much lately I've come around, you know, it started with Jordan Peterson doing a big deep dive on the, on the big five, why men and women are the way they are, how the differences, you know, uh, uh, kind of manifest out in real life. And um, this idea of a total lack of personal responsibility here. We're so narcissistic these days. It's always someone else's fault. It's always the traffic. And, you know, I, I'm a guy that takes my word very seriously and i appreciate like today uh i i think you're in the minority of people that have the integrity if you're running late you let someone know because they're sitting on the curb on the porch on the computer waiting for you to show up and it's so frustrating i remember 25 years ago first getting into real estate and and waiting 10 15 20 minutes for my client to show up and thinking like i was burning mad and it was a great example of like i'm not going to do this to people and so I, I say all that to say, you know, I've been really, you know, submerged in what's wrong with men and women these days. What's wrong with the political left and right? Why are we warring so much? And I, I think I made too much out of that because we've certainly been more divided over time. I mean, in the States, even up, we had civil wars, we've had, you know, major conflicts where I think we forget, we get comfortable, we're soft right now. But for me, one of the greatest issues that society is facing now is fatherlessness, especially in the States when they brought in, you know, you can't have a man in the house if you want a welfare check. And now 85% of the black community is fatherless. Like there's no father in the home. And I think it's absolutely destroying our civilization bit by bit. And 
and, and I think Jordan Peterson makes a big deal out of this too. Like, what do you mean you're going to scrap all your Western values? You know, what the civilizations were built on over a millennia, you're going to throw out the window. And then you think that your society is still going to have foundations, solid foundations to build itself on. No, the foundations are gone. Society collapses. So, uh, I mean, I'm frustrated by it because people are talking about guns. They're talking about, well, we've got some serious issues. But to me, there's nothing more serious than fatherlessness right now. The lack of mentorship, the lack of eldership. We don't have the men standing in the field and that, that food that's transmitted through osmosis, not even conversation, just watching, just standing beside the father. No, we sent the father off to the plant and he comes home angry. Well, now we've sent the women out into the world and they're not coming home any more patient than the father was from the plant either. And I don't think we've seen the full effect of how that's going to affect young boys and girls too, uh, specifically sending women out into the world now. And geez, have we put less of a value on motherhood like this? We've trained our women to say, well, you're nothing if you don't get a job and you don't go out there and kill it. Um, and then, you know, these young girls turn to be 35, 40 years old and they th they're looking around and they've got no one. They've got no family. Hey, now they're past their prime for having children and their innate purpose for giving birth is out the window and then you're cold and bitter for the rest of your life. So anyways, I'm rambling. What are your thoughts on that? Well, no, I mean, and, and I write a lot in my book um, about fatherlessness and about uh, disrespecting the role and the purpose of man. And I think it goes back, I think there's a couple of factors that have created this crisis of fatherhood in our society. Um, and I think one, techno technology has played a role. Um, How? In that, with the rise of technology, I think we all know the one, you know, men used to work in the home or on the farm and all the family worked together. Industrial revolution kind of put the fathers outside of the home, so they were gone all the time and then came back. You know, that's a problem. But, you know, there's been plenty of societies where fathers were gone lots and long, you know, on campaigns or away because um, the travel wasn't the way it is now. Um, so that caused a caused a, a separation but technology itself has created um an ease and we, we live in a leisure society now because of technology and i'm not putting down technology we all want technology because it does that we, we're always looking at technology to make things easier and more efficient and um to help us discover anything so um but the, one of the you know unintended consequences of this advancement is a leisure society and we like the leisure society, but the problem with the leisure society is it creates a soft mentality and a soft society, physically and mentally. And men are designed to, and their purpose is really found in a hard society and not a soft society um, as masculine men. And, as, and so that's kind of created, you know, a, an existential crisis a little bit for men to know, you know, where does their urges and their masculine come into play in a very soft society. The other thing that the soft society creates is a, um, a very maternal and, and feminine ethos. Uh, when you live in hard times, you really lean on fathers who are um, specifically designed to make you face the world and the hardships of the world. Moms are great. Moms are the, are the life creators and we breed you and we raise you and, and we nurture you. Um, we, we love you unconditionally. 
you know, it's beautiful being a mother. You know, I've raised six kids. It, it's a glory unto itself. And it is, um, you know, it's a gift. You can't live without women and you, and you want us and we're beautiful and you need to protect us and, and all of that. And we give so much to you, life included. And, um, but fathers, what they do is that they're not caught in that world. The, the dads are the ones who are outside of that nurturing little bubble. Mm-hmm. Just by very nature. I mean, physically, they're, they're just not. You know, the creators, they're not the ones you were birthed from. They're not moms. And um, dads are very equipped to teach the heart. They bring you out of mom's world into dad's world. They bring you out of the internal world of, of, the, of the feminine into the external world of the masculine. And that's a hard journey to make. And kids don't like it. <laughs> we don't like it. We want to stay in mommy world. We, you know, it's hard to raise kids to, um, to face the, the hard responsibilities of life. But, you know, and moms do it. Don't get me wrong. And moms do it, especially if dads aren't doing it. But dads are especially equipped to do it and designed to do it. And, and they bring um, girls out of, that, out of the framework of the mommy world by showing them what men do for them and how they survive and the realities of the world and even teach them themselves how to survive. They do it for boys and teaching them how to be men and coming out into the external world and be strong and conquerors and, and protectors and providers and all of that. Um, and to face the hardships of life. And they, and they teach both boys and girls to teach to face the hardships of life. And, and you know, think about it. Anyone who's raised kids, it's hard to teach them that discipline and that responsibility. And they don't like it. It's not hard, but, but they eventually do. And, and well-raised kids are kids that you've raised to face the hardships of life and the hard things of life and to be responsible and loving in them. Dads are key in that. Um, but in the process, it's not very comfortable. It creates anxiety and it's, you know, it's hard. <laughs> so a society that's, that is a soft society that is, is, is basking in the maternal glow and loving the feminine softness does not like the masculine presence that says, grow up, be responsible. You're not entitled. You're going to lose. Life isn't fair. Work hard. Um, get off your butt, you know, do things. And then when you have a, a leisure society, not making them have to face those hardships, mm. it only, it makes it harder to learn those lessons. You, it, it almost becomes, um, almost a little fabricated to ha- actually have to teach them those lessons. You have to create situations for them to, you know, go play paintball games to learn how to, you know what I mean? You have to create environment and situations right. to teach them hardship. It doesn't come naturally. Mm-hmm. They're not facing the plague, you know, in the winter <laughs> because the rats are coming and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So um, we now live in the soft society. And so in the soft society that loves this maternal, men and masculinity are seen as the enemy. And, and they don't like it. It's toxic to them. It's, you know, the masculine presence is oppressive. Oh. We don't like it, you know. And then that, with the whole ideology of feminism already here and present, pushing the feminine superiority mentality, um, it all is like a perfect storm against men and fathers. And it really pushes against the grain of the need for the masculine. And so instead of the feminine and the masculine working together in their different roles of, you know, nurturing and having a place of unconditional love 
and in relationship, which is so necessary, and community and society. That working in conjunction with the masculine, this is, well, there's also hard life and responsibility and um, duty that you need to be doing in life. Those used to work together, mom and dad used to work together, masculine and feminine used to work together in that. Now they're in competition. You know, now the woman looks at what the man's doing as a threat, you know, as, as, you know, some kind of alien patriarchal force that's oppressing everyone and we need to avoid them and fight against them and not let them have, have any kind of superiority or victory or even presence or voice in society to teach us these lessons. Um, and men now are backlashing and a whole group of men are like, well, then I'm just going to go my own way and screw you. And you bunch of weak willed women, you know, you don't know anything. You know, there's hostility back and, you know, or I only see you as sex figures and, you know, the only thing you're good for is sex. So I'm going to get my prostitutes and my porn and the heck with the rest of you. Um, that's all you're good for. And you don't appreciate me anyway. I'm going my doing my own thing. So you have this, look at this nasty mix we now have. And so because neither one are now living according to their purpose in community and in love and in cooperation as the masculine and feminine. And it's aggravated by a leisure society. I predict if we have a cataclysmic falling out of the world, you'll find a coming back together and coming to Jesus moment about who we really are. Been, We're not going to be talking about whether your penis can be a vagina. No. You know, and, and all of no, that. We're, We're way too soft. I, I, I predicted that that would happen after 9-11. And I think uh, for a little bit, for the most part, we did kind of go back to our gardens and our dinner parties and our churches and our communities. But it didn't, it didn't seem to last long. I agree completely with you. And geez, I, I have a hard time getting anyone from the left to come on and actually debate with. You know, uh, I, I'm really in tune. And I, I don't know if I told you this before, but... I come up, like I'm a 10-time Green Party candidate. I have been left as left gets. And I've switched, I've really had a hard time. And I think Peterson really explained it for me only recently because I'm like, why does this hurt so much? I've changed my opinion on abortion. You know, I used to be completely pro-choice because at 24 years old, the first time I ran for a federal Green Party candidate, that was the platform. So it was my job to be a robot and just go sell the platform. I mean, in 1993, nobody even knew what the Green Party was. Now they're pretty popular in Canada, and they hold a few seats. Uh, capital punishment. I used to say, eye for an eye, put them down. You know, like, um, I've I kind of come around on that, too. And there's been a number of issues. And I think Peterson put it, like, when, you, when your belief system changes, what, you think that just... You just throw it out, and it's not painful? No, that is a complete transformation. And I've had a hard time with... You know, I don't know if it's wisdom or what. I'm, I'm, I'm 51. I'm not 24 anymore. I'm not ideologically possessed as much as I was before. And, and Crowder really helped me, you know, just watch and change my mind. I'm like, oh, dude, yeah, a question of when it, when is it life is really important in this context, in, in this debate. And so I've had a, a hard time coming along, and I agree with you. You know, we built a soft society, and, and it's really had impacts on both sexes. Uh, I think men are, are kind of confused right now. Um, I, I wonder what your take, I, I appreciate your prediction as well. And I'm not, you know, saying to look into the future, but what do you think is the pendulum, is it just a matter of the pendulum going back and forth? Like what's your kind of prediction of where we are now and what, how, how far left are we going to swing before it starts coming back? And God bless Trump. I mean, 
I, I said when Trump was elected, I will not waste any hate on this man. I have my hate pretty well placed where I like it right now. And I'm trying to get rid of it. But it's impossible. I don't know how. No, we, all, we all struggle with that. No, and, and I think we're all Donald Trump. And that's what I'm so frustrated by is that why can't you just admit you're a little bit narcissistic? You're a little bit uh, xenophobic. I think it's natural to, to not hate, but to fear different people a different i think we've come through a millennia of when two tribes came up against each other we didn't play cards and have sex we tried to annihilate each other so it's i think it's inherently built in our dna and 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 i think trump for me has one he one he turned me on to american politics i did not give a rat's ass about american politics before trump now i can't stop watching and another thing is all these immigration and cages and all these issues uh, have been going on for decades. No one would ever talk about them under Obama's two terms. Now we're talking about them at the very least. He started a conversation. And I just think it's, it, it, it's kind of disingenuous to say, you know what? I got a little bit of Trump in me too. And I really wish that people would just start saying, you know what? No, I'm not a real great person. I'm working on it. I'm a work in progress. It's a lot of work to be loyal to your wife, to be loving to people that are not like, I wonder about you because I have my times on social media too, where I'm just like, how do you be nice to people that are constantly throwing shit at you? Just being hateful all the time for you to go, okay, well, I love you. It's just like, come on, man. It's so difficult. But uh, he's really opened me up to, you know what? I got a little bit of Trump in me. And I think a lot of people just refuse to admit that they have a little bit of hate or they have a little bit of prejudice or they have a little bit of narcissism because they and then, you know, you get to a simple example, like Madonna at the Women's March, she's standing on that stage talking about bombing the White House, and she doesn't get that she's doing to Trump exactly what he's doing, you know, outward. And I know you're not a huge Trump supporter. You're a more hardline conservative than that. I support Trump, but, you know, yeah. I mean, he's not a conservative, but, you know, he's, he's, an ex, he's, he's actually governed more conservatively than conservative um, presidents in the past. So, mm-hmm. no, no, I... I I support my president. Not in everything. I mean, he's not right in everything, but no, I, I get that. that everyone makes him out to be. Yeah. And, uh, well, Tim Poole says all the time, like, okay, Trump, he's, he's got his ways. He, he's not that bad. And another thing I appreciate about, appreciate about his term so far is he's exposed the left for the absolute hateful hypocrites that they are this tolerant left are you kidding me like i've never seen more intolerance coming from any single one group of people than i've been seeing now don't get me wrong the liberals i think and i'll put myself in a conservative camp because right now freedom of speech and 2a don't like these are what i'm passionate about right now and you know i asked you about purpose earlier do you really think that you're going to change anybody's mind you know on the internet about like, does God exist? Is abortion wrong? Like, I really, I think I've given up trying to change people's feelings, but I shifted, you know, but I think I came to it on my own. It was, you know, Stephen Crowder that nobody sat me down and says, I need you to watch this. It's just, you know, I found him funny. I think he's talented. He's got a well-produced show. And I'm like, oh, that's a really important discussion point on this debate is when is it life? And I like his strategy of, okay, let's back up until we can find a point where we agree. You know, okay, can we at least agree that conception is life? You know, 
or heartbeat is life or what have you. So it's been a frustrating road for me, but I wonder, you know, how do you deal with the constant brush and then keep your faith and your strength and your values rather than, Hey, I know it's just like, forget it. I'm done with, I'm done with this. I can't take it anymore. You know? Uh, well, there's, we each have our calling and we each have our place. I mean, one of the key things is to find out where your voice is most effective and use it there. You're not going to win every battle and you shouldn't be fighting every battle. So that's key, first of all. And then, you know, where is best to, you know, fight those battles? You know, if you're only looking to social media, you're going to be frustrated. And so you need to diversify your influence, if you will. And, uh, and, reach out to different people in different forums and different ways. You know, I do writing articles through books, you know, through podcasts, through fighting on social media, through personal interactions, conferences. I mean, there's all kinds of different ways to interact. Um, do you change people's minds in an age where people have tossed reason to the wind? Uh, you know, that, that's where, you know, Jesus left the 99 just to go out to get the one. He went mm-hmm. through the wilderness, you know. So um, the kind of way I look at it, is if I change one or two minds out of the thousands, you know, that's a start. And and that's how I think of it. I don't think that, you know, I'm going to bring in hordes into the, into the Denise camp. (laughs) You know, um, I, I I expect to be alone and to make very, very little progress. That's my expectations. Low expectations. Yeah. And uh, they're realistic. I think I'm not saying I don't have those expectations to surprise myself, but because I really do think them. Um, you know, as far as my, you know, attitude toward it, I mean, I get angry. I mean, one of my most angry tweets echoed throughout the world <laughs> and got me into big trouble because <laughs> I was very angry um, because it became very personal. And, uh, you know, so I have Irish blood in me. Of course, I get angry. Um, you know, so keeping, not doing that, keeping your temper is really important and not like getting, taking everything personally. And I try to do that. I, I, I kind of resort to snark sometimes, you know, or sarcasm, uh, you know, or I just block people or, uh, you know, try to figure out, you know, who's really wanting to have a conversation. I also, what people don't understand is when I'm on social media and I'm debating, a lot of people are like, you know, why are you debating these people? It's not only because I'm debating that person. Um, I know other people are reading it. Thousands of other people are reading what I'm writing. I may not be convincing this person, but other people are seeing my arguments. And I do get a lot of emails and DMs from people saying, you know, I see what you're saying to that person and it's really changed my mind. Hmm. I've had men write to me on DMs saying, wow, you've really opened up my eyes to porn Hmm. um, and I really want to change. I've had men, I've had gay men write me and say, you really made me think about homosexuality and, and reflect on that. And I want to change. I've had two people recently um, talk to me about this. Um, I can't really help them. I, re- I direct them to men who've got, who've overcome that lifestyle and have them talk to them. But um, it, it's just, you'd be surprised about what people opens up people's eyes and what people respond to. I think it's also important in this day and age of the feels <laughs> at, that you do allow yourself to be vulnerable and human uh, admit when you're wrong, admit when you've been a bomb, admit when you failed. And uh, that doesn't mean not going around apologizing all the time, but it means, you know, just 
you know, I've messed up. I haven't been the perfect person. You know, a lot of people say, you know, why are you talking about porn? Who are you? You know, Mother Teresa. <laughs> and I'm like, no, it's because I'm not Mother Teresa. It's because I've been through some crap in my life because I've misused sex because I've been a whore in my life. I know what it's like. I know the dehumanizing effect that, you know, sex wrongly experienced, if you want to put it that way, what it does to the body and soul and heart and relationships. Um, you know, I, I talk as a, a center to other centers. I talk to something, talk to people, a broken person in the hospital, to other people who are in the hospital who don't know they're in the hospital um, or who don't think they, they need treatment. Um, and I think it's just important to keep the dialogue going. I just do. I mean, and to continue to speak the truth. And if, if you're the only one shouting it from the mountaintops and you're the only one shouting it from the mountaintops, but at least someone is shouting it from the mountaintops and maybe someone will have ears to hear at some point. Well, I give you a lot of credit for your strength and your commitment and, and your value system. And I think it's important that, you know, and I, 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 I like your analogy of this existential threat that we, you know, and I said, I thought we were going to achieve this after 9-11. And it's almost like if the aliens come and we're like, oh, okay, so it's the fight for humankind, uh, for, for the whole race. I think we forget that we're more the same, doesn't matter what our race or sex or religion or whatever, we're more the same than we are different, like on so many uh, scales. And Fundamentally, we're the same. Fundamentally. I mean, the absolute fundamentals of who we are. But the problem is, is that, you know, you, you were looking to 9-11 to bring change or you were looking to, you know, if any kind of other horrible thing happens. Uh, it won't change as long as, well, first of all, we still had our leisure society and soft society, even with that happening and even with the fear in the back of it. But until people really come back to objective reality and objective truth and the objective reality about human beings themselves um, and about who women are, who men are and about relationships, mm -hmm. we won't find healing in our society. I think the big evil in our society right now is the tyranny of the subjective. And I think you and I've talked about that before. Um, as long as you think that there's only your subjective reality and your subjective truth, that in itself breeds dysfunction, mental dysfunction and narcissism because subjectivism is the fodder for egoism. And as long as you think that you are the, the island of your own truth, you will be at war with everyone else's truth. You will feel entitled to speak. You will want people to um, bow to your own subjective will because you won't have any kind of objective ties that bind. I mean, what is it that, that you know, and it will form more and more groups and more and more division. Subjectivism does. It, it, it isolates us from other people so that to the point that we're only gravitated to other people who even remotely reflect our own subjective truth. And that's why we have such a um, broken society in all kinds of different groups and camps. And we can find all of our like-minded people on the internet. So unlike when we used to live in small towns, we had to deal with everyone who was different from us. Now we can go and search out everyone who's just or kind of like us no matter how freaky it is, you know, and so um, we become more and more divided. If, if we do not have objective ties that bind objective realities and objective truth that shows us that we're all the same as human beings, 
that shows us that men and masculinity have common elements that are different from the feminine and that women have common elements and characteristics and purposes that are indigenous to them. Um, as long as everyone's like my individuality and my subject out, subjective truth and my truth is the truth, as long as everyone has that attitude, you won't have any kind of coming together and cooperation. You will have more and more division. That's one of my biggest concerns is our complete abandonment of objective reality. Because I think that, that that will be our undoing. Yeah, I think it's been a long process as well, this whole uh, narrative of, you know what, you're perfect exactly the way you are. No, you're not, actually. You need a lot of work to be better. <laughs> and we've, you know, you can be anything you want to be. Well, no, you can't unless you work very hard at it and train and practice. And this idea that the hard you know, work, the masculine, masculine ethos of hard work and failure and the fact that you may not get what you want. Right. These are all very masculine energies, that, you know, in our experience that are being suppressed. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants their safe spaces and everyone wants their entitled world and everyone wants the same that everyone else has. And if they don't get it, then it's your fault. How dare you take from me? You're a misogynist, sexist, homophobic pig. And, you know, you're not, I'm not getting what you have or you're not respecting what I have, you know, and I am God, don't you know? <laughs> and, you know, you need to bow to my will because it's legitimate, damn it. Mm-hmm. And I, no, no, not everything you say is legitimate. <laughs> Sometimes you are wrong and deluded. <laughs> And, you know, because there is objective reality and I don't need to respect it just because you say it. Mm -hmm. Participation ribbons have gotten us into this place. Can tell me, talk to me a little bit, uh, Denise, about what appears to be a a, a little bit of a division on the right. I mean, I'm seeing it in in questions uh, at the mic at um, conservative speakers like Shapiro. I don't know if they've hit Crowder yet. Uh, I don't know anything about Nick Fuentes other than what's been kind of uh, brainwashed. You know, you know how the media kind of labels you something and you just say, oh, okay, so he's, uh, he's a white supremacist then. And you've never really looked into what it is that he said. Where was the context? And I'm guilty of doing that. And again, I don't really uh, know anything about the man, but it seems like the right has had a little bit of a split from, I don't know, do you consider yourself what they call, uh, I think McGinnis is calling it a tradcon, traditional conservative, <laughs> where marriage, uh, man, woman, you know, family unit, very traditional Western values. And, you know, but they, they seem to be coming to the mic and asking questions that don't seem appropriate. But, um, and it, it maybe it goes back to your, uh, split with Shapiro as well. And I don't know exactly what happened there. I, I, I know the story a little bit. Um, but what do you think is happening on the right? Or is this something that we need even be needing to pay attention to? Because I think definitely it's happened on the left, but I think the, the liberals are just kind of sitting there looking to the extreme and going, you guys are idiots. I, I think we're all looking to the left saying that now. Um, is it happening on the right a little bit? now or what do you well, let me say they're idiots but they still work together and when it comes down to it and oh, pretty much right. vote. vote in a block yeah yes um isn't it interesting you know, these little labels and then we have trad trad cons now we just reduce everyone to, to <laughs> oh she's a trad con <laughs> and, uh, it's really, we, love our labels. we love reducing people to one thing instead of seeing people as fully integrated human beings who are complex and often contradictory and 
um, yet still sincere and you know right and wrong and all of us. Uh, it's very easy again if, if we're only looking at things just as you know subjective little groups, then you're going to identify other people by their lowest common denominator mm-hmm. and whatever it is that you don't like about them. Um, well, the whole issue of, of the right and the kind of the uh, civil war that's going on there is not new. Um, okay. The right has never been monolithic. And, you know, way back to Reagan and, and Goldwater before that. And, and you have your more traditional conservatives. And then you have your Republican, um, more economically focused um, groups. And you have your more conservative political minded people. Then you have your religious, you know, back in the 90s, you had the rise of the, the uh, moral majority, the Ralph Reed crowd, you know, and you had you know, when they were focusing a lot on abortion and the Republican establishment types didn't want to talk about abortion because they thought it lost them votes and so they didn't want to deal with the social issues. And so there's always been this conflict within Republicanism and, and within the GOP and within the conservative branch um, about what the focus should be in opposition to the left. Now we have probably more influx of libertarianism into um, the conservative and into the Republican ranks. And that's causing its own kind of conflicts because the libertarians are more, are socially liberal. And, you know, uh, but yet they're also more passive. They're more, more don't be interventionist in, so in, in international politics and war. And so you have a lot of division already there. You also um, have what you see with, what you saw with Trump is you also saw a big split between Republicans who really like things status quo and who like to say they're the principled ones and we just hold on to our conservative values, however they defined it. And uh, then you had the Trump supporters who were like, you need to do more. You're not fighting the left the way you need to fight the left. They saw this brand of, of traditional or establishment Republicans as giving in to the PC culture too much, being afraid of labels, being afraid of things like being called a racist. So they tried to to placate the left too much. And a whole group of people rose up in support of Trump because one thing Trump didn't do was placate the left. And he didn't let them get away with the labels. Oh, you're going to call me a racist? I'm not a racist. Or no, I'm going to say more that you thought I was ra- that was racist. I'm going to say it even more, so you'll call me a racist even more and make yourself look like a fool. And, you know, so he just doubled down and fought the left and fought the PC culture, and people loved him for it. You know, they were like, yes, you're finally telling people we're not racist because we oppose the whole identity politics issue. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, don't let them get away with the, the labeling. Don't let them get away with the identity politics. Whereas the softer, more established Republicans who didn't want to disrupt their, their own little world of power, uh, they don't do that. Don't do that. You're going to you know, be labeled racist and don't be labeled a racist by fighting being called a racist. <laughs> you know? and, uh, you know, so there was this whole war between the never Trumpers then, and then the, then you have the whole alt-right guys and, and right gals or whoever, uh, you know, who are really into mocking the left and doubling down on the rhetoric 
and oh, you're gonna call me anti-Semitic? Nah, I'm I'm gonna actually start act. You know, I'm gonna put out even more memes that are that look like anti-Semitism. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna. I mean, they're just really kind of. If you watch Harry Potter, they're like the Weasley brothers, and um, you know, just causing trouble. <laughs> and you know, so that's what I I refer to a lot of the people on the right. We're just you know the Weasley brothers, and you know, not saying that. I know guys, everyone, that there are racists and anti-Semites in the world and in the alt-right, but they're also there on the left. Mm -hmm. They're there, okay? The sub-creatures are there. <laughs> we know that. Yeah, the vast the majority whole, of them. There is a lot more going on than just a whole bunch of crazed racists and, and, uh, and bigots. What you have super recently, so that was going on in the 2016, what you have super, super recently with the Groypers and the, uh, yeah. and the Nick Fuentes supporters and their opposition to Daily Wire and Turning Point USA right. is again, what's ironic is that Daily Wire, Turning Point USA, I think some other organizations, one that I used to work for is kind of coming up in that way, are replacing some of the more establishment past establishment media organizations and becoming establishment themselves. They once saw themselves as being the mavericks and the, the new thought leaders, but they're really in, infested with a lot of libertarianism. So um, there's a lot of social liberalism there, but you also have a lot of young millennials who lead these organizations who are really about the money. They are big. There's a lot of wealth. And a lot of donors, and a lot of investors that come into these groups that are speaking out. I mean, who are who are your front lines now? Commentary, um, like Daily Wire and, and places like that. They say a lot of good things. I would agree with. Of course, I used to work for them. You know, so of course, you know, not everything they're saying is bad. But there is an underbelly to these new media outlets and campaigns and groups like turning point that are highly money driven by investors and it makes the people in it not free to really speak against the culture like you would want them to. Right. And so because of that, they're kind of turning into the old Republican establishment types who are like buttoned down on the stuff that's going to get you labeled by the left. So please don't sound like a racist. Please don't sound like a homophobe. Please don't sound like a bigot. Let's just talk about the economics. Abortion's now really cool to talk about. We'll talk about abortion, you know, that kind of stuff. Don't ruin our brand because it's going to uh, but, but don't ruin my, our brand by talking about, you know, maybe homosexuality isn't as God designed. Or, oh my gosh, don't talk about, you know, feminists. Or don't talk about, you know, transgenders not being able to be around us or anything like that. And um, these guys, and, and the whole Jewish part of it, I think, is also that there's a lot of um, Jewish money and Jewish funding by, by people who are Jews in the media. I don't have a problem with that. It's just the way it is. They're highly represented, and, but, you know, brilliant people. And that seems to bother a lot of, a lot of the groupers, the very um, the over-representation of this crew um, of, of the Jewish uh, influence. And they're suspect of them that they're actually not pro-Christian principles. I, uh, of course, they're not Christian. But I, I don't see that kind of influence by 
Jewish people in the media that they're actually against our Christian social values. I, I don't agree with them on that. So, well, yeah. man, if it, if it was, I mean, the Christians would be taking it really hard for decades. There are, and what I see is not the Jewish factor. I mean, I don't think it's because they're Jewish. I think it's because of libertarian. And I think that they don't hold to the same social structures that conser conservatives who are built on a Christian foundation. I mean, whether you like it or not, what do you want to change? You know, if you're going to talk about conservatism, it's based on a moral Christian foundation. It just is, unless you want to just rewrite history. Right. Um, now you can say that you want to change the conservative movement, but call it something else because that's not what the mm -hmm. Buckley, you know, Reagan conservative, well, even all they way back to the founders, the, the founding of conservative, that wasn't the term back then, but um, mentality is and, and, and value structure. Mm -hmm. So I really think it's more of the libertarian, um, influence, and I say that as someone who loves small government, who once called myself a pseudo libertarian, um, you know, because of my value of limited government, small government. Um, but I was never on board with the social liberalism, and so even though I am still libertarian in that I'm against social liber um, libertarianism, liberalism, and I want to speak out against it as I do, but I don't want government intervention to change it. Cause I don't think the role of government is to promote virtue. I think that's a nightmare. And the role of government is to restrain evil. So uh, this federal government in particular. So that's what you have going on. So you have these young guys who, um, who are kind of motivated still against the labeling of the left and they see the shifts in culture going, still going toward uh, the left. And they see this new crop of conservative ink, as we call it, not standing up to it. Conservative Inc., you refer to the Shapiro, the Daily Wire. Yeah, Conservative Inc. is like, you know, Daily Caller, Federalist, um, uh, Turning Point USA. The big money organizations. Yeah, the organizations that speak on campus, YAF, it's called, yeah. and Daily Wire and all of those. Um, they see them as being money-driven, sellouts on the social issues. And I'm going to just say, because there's always personal stuff. They're also just really arrogant and annoying. And so I think there's just a, a point of just, you guys are just think you're just the cool kids at the table. Because we never really graduate from high school, do we? <laughs> we don't have so, a lot of, so, we don't have ceremony. I think Revenge of the Nerds going on here against, you know, which ironically, I think a lot of the guys who formed Conservative Inc. were the nerds themselves at sure. one point. Mm -hmm. And they were rebelling and they, they were like the refrigerant of the nerds. And now they've become the cool guys or whatever, the money guys. Wow. And now a whole new crop. It's kind of a Marxist struggle going on here <laughs> in conservative ink, you know, against the, uh, the Groyper alt-right, whatever guys. So that's what's going on there. And, uh, you know, and anyone like me or Michelle Malkin, uh, who kind of is kind of looking back at this, I have my enemies on both sides of all of this and all sides of that, personally. Um, I kind of am like, things, these groups that are opposing conservative have things to say. We shouldn't just toss them out. I said the same thing during the Trump election with the alt-right and people who were supporting, even the, not the alt-right, but the supporters of Trump. Don't toss them out as if they don't have a point to make, because they do. Um, while at the same time you can say, you know, knock your racist crap off if that's the way you're heading. You know, I think we, we don't talk enough. Again, we're reducing everyone, mm -hmm. you know. And so I can say to someone, listen, 
I see what you're saying about identity politics, and I see what your problem is with Charlie Kirk and the rest of them, and that they're selling out on some valued values that we should be having if we want to be maintaining a Christian um, worldview in mm -hmm. our nation. Um, but they're, uh, don't go overboard and think it's a Jewish conspiracy going on. Um, mm. that kind of thing. You know, is it okay to point out that a lot of them are Jewish? Fine. You know, do they click together? They do, but you know, any group does. This is nothing unique. Um, but there's not some kind of conspiracy and don't start going into some kind of weird stuff that they, that I get from some of the groupers. Oh, how I hypocritical. I'm, I mean, I know there's hypocrites on both sides. I'm a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. And again, I wish. I don't think they're hypocrites. And I don't think they're hypocrites on both sides. I and mean, hypocrites are when, you know, you're actively doing something and saying that you're not. Or yeah, but I mean, at some level. There's sinners on all sides. Yeah. At some <laughs> level, I think we all say one thing and do another and pretend and put our masks on and whatnot. Uh, and uh, obviously, it stands out more for me on the left because how can you be against. I don't know, Marineland having caged whales and dolphins in a tank, but think that abortion is okay. Uh, I, I, don't, I just don't get how anyone can have those two beliefs at the same time. And then I look at the, the Shapiro thing. Here's a man that constantly says on his show, I believe, my religion teach me, teaches me, that homosexuality is a sin. You come to your husband's defense because a homosexual on Twitter tells you that he's abusing you or the other way around. I don't know exactly what it is. And then you're cut loose for just softly going around. You know what? It doesn't seem appropriate me taking relationship advice from a gay man. Uh, like, so to me, innocent, you'd think that a guy like Shapiro would go, ah, no big deal, Denise, we got your back. In other words, in, uh, instead, you're out the door because you're a threat to his brand. Like, I've and maligned I've, and blackballed. I mean, it's bad. It's not just, you know. Really? Uh, I mean, there were people, Andrew Clavin, for example, if you know who he is. Um, yeah. You know, he was one who said, yeah, you know, maybe you should have said it so harshly, Denise. And, you know, but we, I understand what happened. And, you know, don't do harshly. it. Harshly. But that's okay. I mean, you know, but should you be fired? No. I mean, some people, and people at Blaze TV were like, should she be fired? No. Uh, but the rest of them, it's Come to your defense on a show, or is this Clayton. just a private conversation? Yeah. No, Cleveland did on a show. Oh, he did, eh? Okay, good. And me, only once, you know, and, mm -hmm. and, but he did, at least that. Uh, but he's more, you know, he's older, he's a lot more mature than, than a lot of them. And unfortunately, it hasn't died down because the blackballing behind the scenes continues. And it, it's just a real... Power struggle is vindictive, is driven by personal pettiness. Um, it makes me angry and I fight back and that makes mm. me look petty. <laughs> but, you know, there's a lot going on behind the scenes that, are rea that I'm reacting to. But, but it's that kind of stuff that drives, um, that's just one example. My example is just one, one part of it that drives this hostility against these groups that are now our frontline speakers for conservatism. Mm. So conservatism is, is, has its representations in the Charlie Kirks and Ben Shapiro's, and we value so much of what they say. I mean, their fight for free speech, ironically, is so good. Yeah. Um, but then they undermine it with uh, these kind of actions, born out of fear of what people will think of them. 
or the loss of uh, well, like well, the, the loss of money is what people think is what their investors will think. Mm. So, um, you know, one of the things I, I've, um, a friend of mine who's in, uh, in business said to me, I would never work again for anyone who has investors, um, work for someone who's completely profit driven where they have to earn their money and they're emboldened only to their customers, um, because they have a freedom that know that people who have investors don't. And unfortunately, a lot of these media brands are solely driven by investors and sometimes only one or two investors, some cases only one investor. When you have that going on, you have a totalitarian regime of one or a group of investors dictating mm. brands what they cannot, cannot say. And even if they're not dictating, there's a unspoken understanding of lines that should not be crossed. And so these media brands and media personalities are often enslaved to the expectations of their investors and because they don't want to lose their funding. They don't lose their money. And so there's that. There's also just, gosh, I hate to say it. There's also just something that doesn't have anything to do with money. And it comes back to your point about groups and tribes uh, and, and humanity because we're broken and fallen and sinful and we don't see each other as human beings first made in God's image and that that's our tribe. <laughs> we have a tribe of one and it's called mm -hmm. being made in God's image. And we should, you know, one race out of that comes, and out of that comes some, a lot of beautiful diversity, but it's out of that that comes the diversity right. because we don't, we've rejected that objective commonality. Mm -hmm. um, all we have are all the bits and all the parts and all the tribes and all the groups. And when you divide in that, um, whether it's a tribe of one or a tribe of a thousand, whatever your group is, that becomes your God. And um, that's where you find meaning and value. And that's where you think you gain your image. I made in the image of my tribe instead of the image of God. And so your loyalty becomes to the tribe and being accepted by the tribe and having status in the tribe. And the worst thing you can imagine is being kicked out of the tribe and being disassociated from the tribe. And so it's, it's group dynamics that anyone yeah. in sociology, you know, it's the, you know, you have your in groups and your out groups and no one wants to be in an out group. It's a horrible thing. Out groups are stigmatized. Out groups are delegitimized. Out groups are, you know, enslaved. Sometimes they're, they're treated cruelly. We hate them. And you want to be on the in group because um, there's also where power is. There's power in the in group. There's not power in the out group until the out group becomes an in group. And so a lot of the time in these situations, people are just terrified to be separated from the group mm -hmm. and where they find their identity. And, you know, it takes a lot of strength of character in the times in which we live uh, to be able to look at your tribe as being the tribe of, of the human race. And my tribe is in Christ. My identity is in Christ. My purpose is in Christ. And if I stand alone on an island, abandoned by all the other groups, I still have value and dignity, and I don't need to compromise myself to get with the groups. It takes a lot to be able to do that. And it's hard. It's hard because money's involved, friendship's involved, you know, status is involved. It's a hard thing. Connection, community, yeah, it's almost Connection, like start. Jobs, you know. Uh, your welfare, you know, um, is all tied up into it. 
but you know, you have to be able to, especially in this business, not all businesses are like what I'm describing, but especially in this media business in politics, it is especially like this. And, um, you know, it takes, it's hard not to align yourself and then, and then give up your principles or become hypocritical or hide things yeah, in order then, to stay in the group. Then it becomes a, you know, guard your actions because if, if you, if you step out of line, then you're in, you're, you're out. So, you're out. you know, you're off the island, vote it off <laughs> within these boundaries, which is unhealthy. I mean, every, every solution to any major problem that we've ever solved has come from the extremes where we looked and we go, oh, you're radical. You're out there. Next thing you know, it's main, It's a cure. It's mainstream belief. So uh, a lot of the solutions come from the extremes, from the, you know, the uh, distribution where there's very few out on the ends of it. And, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, Denise, I really appreciate your time. I'm going to cut you loose soon. I, I can't cut you loose, though, without talking to you about Milo. I love Milo. He, I find him to be absolutely insufferable most of the time. I couldn't, I could barely watch. And I, you know, I was, I, I'm not the one that, oh, you know, you watched you, it with me? My show? I, 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 I had a hard time getting through it, but I was, I suggested it to uh, Gavin. I, you know, I managed to make my way on, I, I, I paid Gavin the, for the first time I'm paying for content. I think he's, absolutely hilarious one of the funniest men on the planet right now and on one of my calls I said you know you really need to you know look up Denise McAllister great writer she might be good on the podcast because I know you said man I don't know if I'm good at the video and the audio and stuff like that I'm a writer and I I, I read your book most of it and I you're a brilliant writer and I just I love the um Ryan Katsu Rivera he calls him a co-host he's really his producer I, I their their chemistry is unbelievable and I happened to mention to him hey you should, she'd be great for the Island of Misfits, as he calls it. You know, if you're banned, we got you. Joe Biggs, Milo. Huh? <laughs> I'm Molly the doll. <laughs> so, I mean. It's a cowboy riding the ostrich. That's who he is. <laughs> I love him. So, anyway, I tried to watch you on with Milo, and he just wouldn't let you speak. He's, like, I really appreciate him. He's different. He's not my kind of guy. Even if I was gay, he wouldn't be my kind of guy. But... <laughs> I appreciate his uh, flamboyancy and whatnot, but he just wouldn't let you get a conversation going. And I just kept saying, oh, I even, you know, I sent you a DM like, man. Okay. And I said it to, uh, I actually, one of my calls on with Gavin, my cell was cutting out and he had a really bad echo with it. With, with, when I had the earbuds in, it was almost impossible to make the call, but he managed through the garble. He managed to get, you know, would that gay just shut his mouth? <laughs> That's a, if it was all cut up and everything. So tell me about your experience on with uh, Milo Yiannopoulos. I love Milo. Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Milo. Uh, I defended Milo back, you know, when all of it went down with him. And even before that, when, when people were calling him a racist, you know, he was part of that alt-right mischievous group. Homophobe. Yeah, the homophobe who's homosexual. Um, you know, who's a racist, who's married, married to a black guy. Yeah. Very weird. And, um, so I defended him back then. And, and uh, a lot of people don't understand, you know, how I can align, you know, uh, with Milo, you know, my criticism of, of homosexuality itself. They don't understand, you know, I don't, I, I don't reduce people like other people do. I mean, Milo is, is a fully integrated human being with many, many different facets to him. And I adore and love many aspects of him and all and him as a human being, even if I disagree with him on some things. Um, 
And so I came to defense. So that kind of put me on the bad side of all the cool people when I, when I defended Milo back in the day. And then of course, when it happened with me, he, he came to my defense as well, because we both understand what's going on. And uh, yeah, several homosexuals came to my defense. Actually, he was really kind of like, guys, yeah, thank you. You actually get it. And I think one reason why is that as homosexuals, they understand what real homophobia and nastiness and cruelty looks like because they've lived it and they know what it doesn't look like. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like when, when um, not to deviate into something really horrible, but um, the whole Me Too movement and women complaining about rape and all this. You know, I'm really critical of a lot of these women because I have been raped and I know what it looks like and I know what it feels like and I know what that is. And so don't try to, you know, don't downplay. I'm not going to have sympathy for someone who gets flirted with when she doesn't want to. Mm. You know, it's just or not. regrets the sex afterwards. Yeah, or whatever. Yeah, you, you went to the hotel room when, you know. Well, anyway, I'll get myself in trouble if I get there. Yeah. But <laughs> I, um, but Milo, yeah, going on the show, so he, he invited me, you know, he blurred my book. So he, he's, you know, which is great. I really am grateful to him for that. Uh, and he invited me on the show. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. I mean, he, he does talk, but I love to hear him talk. I mean, I, maybe it didn't bother me because I could just listen to him talk all day. I really can. Um, he, he, I think he's brilliant and funny. And um, oh, He's all of that. And he's completely full of himself, which oh, is the part of the character. I get it. And now that I'm remembering it, yeah, you guys are doing shots of Screech or some stuff. No, I like, brought him a gift of moonshine from North Carolina. Yeah, well, that's Screech, whatever. Yeah. They call it that. So, um, and yeah, so he was like bringing it on the show, making me drink it. Like straight, just white lightning alcohol? Yeah. <laughs> moonshine. 180 proof. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like fire. Uh, but it was good to talk to him because he really understood the deplatforming that's going on, the council culture that's going on. And even if you disagree with someone that don't like how they said something, it's not cause to completely ruin their career. And uh, so he had a little fun bet with Megan McCain, who's also part of the whole council thing with me. And started a whole series of beautiful memes of I was at your wedding Denise I was at your wedding Denise I love how he said that he said it like four times I was like that is hilarious I I always want to take that recording and put him saying that as as a ringtone for my my ring I'm gonna do that I am I'm gonna take Milo say you're at my wedding Denise and that British accent and sass that he has I'm gonna do it sass for sure (laughs) my husband will be horrified but I'll do it now, who joined you on that show? He he really knew his place. He was he was good enough to just let you two go at it. Uh, I think he made. Oh, Joe, who was yeah? Who was it? Who was the other uh, Joe? I can't remember his last name. He's yeah, one okay. of the proud, proud boy leaders. Yeah. Oh, that oh, no, wasn't Biggs, was it? No. Oh. Not Joe Biggs. No. Uh, it's so it, it was a good opportunity just to talk and and um about what happened. Also, just about some things about. Um, sexuality and the foundation of marriage and Christian culture, which, you know, Milo gets. And, um, you know, it's good for people to rally together and try to, you know, understand what's going on in the politics today, even on the right, and stand firm and support each other and, you know, build new platforms that really, you know, um, Gavin is definitely working on that in his way. And, you know, I applaud them. In their efforts. I mean, we, we need to not be cutting each other out on the right for little, for, for things like that. I mean, just, we, we can't, the war against a totalitarian left 
that is abandoned reason and objective reality is so important today that silencing people on our own side for pettiness and high school stuff or embarrassing moments or you know fear of brand trouble and that kind of stuff is really inappropriate and we need to fight fight that well a couple more questions you got any vices what do you struggle with what, what are, are my vices yeah like what are you like when you're like we've all got them you know at different levels that you're standing and it can't be chocolate okay like something that's seriously a risk to your well-being that you have a problem staying away from twitter <laughs> <laughs> and you've got the carpal tunnel to prove it <laughs> twitter yeah is, is, is social media an absolute sickness for us or what like i i'm addicted to it too i should be spending more time on youtube because at least there you can make some coin like I know, I'm, I'm in the middle of, trying, of building my own website and it's taking a lot of time because I'm too busy like yappering <laughs> on. One of the problems with me with social media is because I have ADD and, um, and one of the things that's great, especially as a writer or a commentator, having social media where you're getting, you get immediate response and you're able to engage. And if you're that kind of person that's wanting immediately out, out the door and back and forth and back and forth, which I live on, I love just debate. And I love immediate gratification when it comes to intellect. Yeah. Um, it's good on the physical too, but no, <laughs> I like. <laughs> but I like it, you know, intellectually. I like just having that gratification of of someone coming back at me with an idea or an opposition, and then I go back at them. I'm also like a dog with a bone when I'm making an argument, and I'm like, I want to make my point, and I want to win this, <laughs> and and um get it all out there. And on Twitter, you have to do it in like 20,000 tweets to get your whole argument out there. And my husband's like, why are you doing this? Just write an article on your website and put it there. You know, then you can also make some money. Your husband just It'll be sane and you won't be sitting there with the phone in front of your face. Yeah. And, and I'm like, I know you're right. Chain me to my computer without working on my website and my writing. But the thing is, is I'm like, yeah, but when I'm writing my, my articles, I'm not getting that immediate. I'm not getting oh, my goodness. distraction taken care of. That's why writing books is so hard for me. I mean, I have to chain myself down to write a book. I and, uh, feel yeah, your pain. And like, and I, I'm, you know, somebody says something and you're like, oh, dude, I think it's time to, that I admit. I have the mind of an air traffic controller. I have four or five or six projects going on and I skip from one. I do a little bit. I do a little bit because as soon as I click upload and I know it's going to take 15 minutes, I need to get engaged in something else. I'm not going to just sit there and wait for it to upload. You go do something else. It's like a waste of time sitting around. So I, I totally feel you. And I think the dopamine rush is, is certainly something that's attractive on the, on the Twitter platform. Um, oh yeah. The intensity and, and, you know, it's just like this stimulation. And when you're, you, know, you have that ADD, it's like pinging everywhere. And when I'm writing a book, I have to sit and stay focused. I'm in my own head and I don't have any of that give and take except in my own head and, and I enjoy that and I get my books done and I write and I can do it. Um, but when I get into a pattern of just doing it on social media, I kind of have a hard time getting back off of it. And I have to, because it's just, it's not productive. You can't shut, you can't shut it down. You're trying to get to sleep and it just ping, 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 ping. And no, I don't have notifications on. No, I, I can't do that. 
<laughs> oh, <laughs> no, oh, no, 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 no notifications no. on. I don't mean the sound, but yeah. The, the, oh, the pinging uh, in your head? Yeah, well, you, well, you see, yeah, you see, it, every time you log on, the red light shows up and shows you you got 50 notifications. No, no my, my house, my family makes me turn it off. It's <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. Uh, uh, other vices, you know, I guess that's, that's the big one. I mean, you know, just, um, I don't know. I really like red wine. No, I'm not an alcoholic, so stop. Um, but uh, yeah, but I do like, do like red wine. Well, and I, need to, I just shouldn't have it so much for my health because I've had health issues in the past and it's just not good for my inflammation. Mm -hmm, I hear you. Who, uh, just a couple more things on the way out. Who are you chummy with? I heard you uh, mention uh, Michelle Malkin. Uh, like, who are your like? Who do you roll with? Who Who are your friends out there these days? Uh, I, I know. I don't know Michelle personally. Okay. Um, I just know. Who, you know, we're in the same sphere. Definitely. Uh, well, I don't know. All my friends have turned on me. I, I'm experiencing the same thing. It's like even my brother. I sat with my brother the other day. I said to him, "I don't care. I like Trump. Uh, Trump more and more every day. He's hilarious." He's bringing, like, he's the greatest troll this generation will ever know. Uh, he's engaging, in a, he's making us engage in a, in, a, in a conversation that was way overdue. And he almost got up and left. Now, my brother, uh, not, uh, oh, let's call him, he's a little bit more simple. You know, he doesn't care about politics. He doesn't read the paper. I'm obsessed with it. I'm complex, I'm deep. And and I just decided I wasn't going to hate Trump. And he watched The Apprentice. I'm, I don't watch things like that. And so he already had a pre uh, preconceived notion of who Trump was. But he almost got up and left. And and then they all go to the oh he's a racist. He's he grabs women and probably like and, like I get so tired of defending Trump because it I just I just I appreciate what he's bringing to the political conversation. Yeah, is it? You no know, one's perfect, and he's you know he's bombastic, and and that's just what it, I wouldn't want to be married to him. <laughs> no, no, he's an easy guy not to like. But I you know I I've had a lot of people who look at me and go. Who are you? You you are not the same person. I'm like, you're right. I'm not. I'm growing. And I want to pat myself on the back a little bit for it to be open enough to go, well, wait a second. I don't really believe that anymore. I didn't even realize that like I need to reassess that I'm not 24 anymore. And and so yeah, I, I, I've felt a, that little bit of pain as well. Uh, as far as, you know, the alienation of people that, you know, this whole, I thought I knew you and you surprised me, Jim. I'm like, oh, like you condescending, like, come on, like, you're no, you're no better, you know? So oh, it's oh. terrible. I mean, I had to move because of a neighbor became so difficult uh, in response to my career and things that were happening to me. And, uh, you know, so it was, I heard the reports of death threats as well. Yeah. Death threats and stuff like that, which I had nothing, you know, I'm the victim here on that. And, you know, but it was always my fault for some reason. Um, you know, so yeah, it's been hard to maintain relationships, you know, plus just everything that happened with, with Yashir Ali and all that, you know, lost all of my friends that I'd worked with for four or five years. Because you're homophobic. I mean, that's what they're saying about it. That's why you lose these friendships because they consider you, uh, I don't know. I mean, it just, yeah, it just, after that happened, I, no one spoke to me again wow. and also blackballing behind the scenes, but you know, I still have friends. I mean, I, 
adore Sean Hannity. He's, he's always been a deer and, and David Limbaugh's a deer, just adore him. Um, you know, so there are people who stand by you no matter what and just noble men who mm. see through a lot of the garbage and the maturity. I mean, it's, it's finding the maturity and I find it, I find it hard to maintain relationships with women in this business um, because it's so competitive and women are nasty. And I think it's, it's difficult on a normal day. Women just don't live. Wow. They just undercut each other all the time. It seems like you know, guys, we solve things. We punch each other out and then we go for a beer. Like, yeah. you know how it works. No, I mean, girls can't do that. Whole it, book about it. <laughs> I mean, if women get along great, if they're, if they're not competing with each other or if they're competing together, yeah, with on a, a team or something, but if they're competing with each other, it's very hard for them to get past that and, and really have a good relationship. So, um, yeah, that's been, even though there's some really good, um, Rachel Fulton Brown, who's, who's a wonderful, um, she wrote Milo Chronicles, which is coming out, I think in this month or okay. it's right coming out before Christmas. Okay. Um, I need to get my blurb written for that. So yeah, they're, they're great. They're great women. They're great men in the business, you know, who I hang with. I, I pretty much, I mean, I live in Charlotte, so I'm not in the devil's triangle of DC, New York, and LA. <laughs> Thank God. I have to fly up there enough into the devil's triangle, but I always get out of it. Um, you ever bury the hatchet with somebody you had a huge falling out with? With it, with in this past year? Well, or no, yeah. just over the last, I don't know, many years, you know, something that you can point to, uh, I think it's really difficult when you have, when you're experiencing pain, hardship, you know, lack of uh, employability to uh, ever imagine, you know, working for a Daily Wire or somebody like that again. I just wondered if you've ever gone to war with somebody, mis been mistreated and then come around and, and patched it up and been friends again. No. No. <laughs> um, no. And not because, uh, you know, Lack of trying. I mean, the, yeah. in the recent situation, I, I haven't, I haven't reached out for, to some of these people mainly because I know they wouldn't respond. Mm -hmm. There have been a, a couple of people, one associated, I won't name her, gone on with Turning Point USA. We had a little conflict and I reached out and was like apologetic and it was a misunderstanding and um, I was wrong actually in, in the conflict, but there was no response. I mean, pretty much when you're, when you're, this is a very graceless business. Let me put it that way. Um, and I've kind of learned to deal with it. It's kind of sad because I, 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 while I can deal with conflict, I do not like conflict in my interpersonal relationships. Mm -hmm. um, I can deal with conflict on the stage, you know, and in the big fight, but behind the scenes or in, in my world, I don't like it. And I like to be, I'm really quick. If you want to, if you've done something against me and you ask for forgiveness, I really like to forgive. There you go. It makes me very happy. <laughs> I want to forgive you. Um, and I expect that a little bit. And I know I shouldn't expect it because grace is a gift, but I really long for reconciliation. I long for grace to be shown. And um, it makes me very, very sad. Maybe it's because I screw up so much. You know, I really need forgiveness a lot. <laughs> and I really want it because <laughs> I make mistakes so often. Um, but I'm finding the older I get, and especially in this business, very few people are willing to give it. Once you're, once you're out, you're out. Once you're voted off the island, you never come back. <laughs> Denise McAllister. She's the game of survivor. Yeah, there you go. Pump your book a little bit on the way out. How do we get it? It's up for pre-order. comes out in February, doesn't it? 
comes out February 11th, right before Valentine's Day. Um, and it is on pre-order at Amazon. And I think you can, and you can go to Barnes & Noble as well. So it's what men want to say to women but can't. And it's about the damage that um, feminism has done to the relationships between men, men and women. It's very much a celebration of masculinity. Men will love to read it because I think it will encourage you. There will be parts of it at the end that will challenge you. And, but I think it will maybe get you and also make you understand what's going on with women as well and why they are the way they are and why they think the way they do. Um, but it will mostly be an encouragement to you that I really want women to read it because I want to under, I want you to see how men are and what you're doing to them and you know, what they don't deserve and how valuable they are and how much we need masculinity and men in our lives and how you've been sold a bill of lies by feminism, modern feminism. Amen. Well, you look fantastic as I expected you would. Um, uh, Thank you. I just turned 53. So. Not a girl. Look, and uh, I, there's nothing more than that crooked, evilish grin. I like it. Just before you drop something important, you get this, this little girl evil grin on your face. Your husband's a lucky man. I love you. Thank you for the time. I really appreciate it. I love what you're doing out there. And um, I, I've kept you for a long time, but I appreciate that. Hey, we've got lots to talk about. So I appreciate yeah. the access and the time. Denise, um, we'll do it again in the new year, maybe when you're, uh, after, maybe after the book comes out. Okay. And thank you to your viewers. I appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. All right. That's Denise McAllister. If you need her, I think I know how to turn this thing off now. <laughs> Stop recording first. Okay, Denise, take care. We'll talk soon. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye.